0: It's an honor and a privilege today because what started like a dream and adventure has become true. It is absolutely amazing that the Lord set me apart for salvation, but also for the preaching of his word and serving to his kingdom. And it's an honor to be in this pulpit that has been used for the preaching of the word by faithful men in the story of this church. And there's only one that, who deserves honor and glory this morning, and that one is our Lord. I would like to start saying that most of historians agree that it's likely that there has never been a period of peace on the entire planet. It is documented in our historical records that there has been wars in the world all the time. Conflicts had appeared in almost every corner of Earth. The system of government in which we live serves to the fundamental idea of preserving peace or giving a peaceful way of life to inhabitants. After Second World War, the UN support different nations To start developing political sciences and foreign affairs programmes with the idea to achieve peace and harmony for this time and forever. So far as we can observe, these goals have not been achieved. The world in we live right now is looking for peace, but we don't have peace the horrors and the atrocities we can see every single day show us that this happy future of peace is distant, but on a realistic way to think, it's almost impossible. And all this is because one day, men decide to make war against God. One day, the perfect relationship between God and man was broken men used to live in a perfect harmony with God and with everything that was surrounding them but they decide to disobey so with the entrance of sin this unleashes a war that only God himself can put to an end and only himself can bring again his kingdom of peace this morning we will cover a beautiful passage of scripture That will show us who the true agent of peace is. Who is the real hope we have. Today we will meditate on the entrance of the Lord to the city of Jerusalem, our King of Peace. Please open your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 40. Luke nineteen twenty-eight to 40. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say, "This the Lord has need of it." So those who were sent away and found it it's just the way he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, "Why are you untying the colt?" And they said, "The Lord has need of it." And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on on the coal, they sat Jesus in it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawn near, already in the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And Father, help us to understand the message you have today for us. Help us to understand that you are the only real and true peace. Father, Use me as a humble servant for your message, that your words will be proclaimed today for your people. Father, in the middle of grammatical mistakes, mispronounced mispronounced words, that your glory will be displayed. Help us this morning, Lord, to understand who you are and to glorify you as the king you are. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So for more than three years, our Lord was ministering, preaching, doing miracles, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And the Lord right now is beginning the end of his earthly ministry. His entrance to the city of Jerusalem will provoke a very violent reaction that will end on his death in the cross during Passover. The Lord did not enter as a conquering king willing to crush his enemies. He entered as a king who assumes the position of a servant willing to give his life for the rescue of many. He did not enter on a horse with an army. But he entered mounted on a colt, just surrounded by his 12 disciples. And then a crowd was praising him. But the important thing here is that they were praising something they were not understanding. They were praising a kingdom they didn't understood their nature. It was a kingdom of peace. Not a the kingdom they were expecting. The Lord entered to, deliver was, he entered to be delivered to a Roman officer by the religious leaders of his people. But to be condemned to be condemned to death, and to be executed. The death of Christ in the cross is a focal point of human history because it draws a line between those who are lost and those who are saved. That's why the writers of the gospel spend so much time and spend so much space in their gospels talking about this. On the gospel of, of Matthew is one quarter. One-third in the Gospel of Mark, a fifth in the Gospel of Luke, and half of the Gospel of John talks about these last seven days. This last week occupies a central space and begins with the entrance to the city of Jerusalem. Only three events are narrated in the four Gospels, and this entrance is one of those events. And I hope, brothers, on my heart this morning, is that through this passage, we will understand to praise the King of Peace. That we will say that the Lord is Jesus. But we can say that the Lord is Jesus and don't have him as Lord of our lives. We can sing that Jesus is King and don't submit to his kingship. In this sermon, I will talk about three aspects to the entrance to Jerusalem of our king of peace. The first one, verses 28 to 34, the sovereignty of the king of peace. And I'll read it again. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew up near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their clothes on the cold, they set Jesus on it. The entrance to Jerusalem marks the beginning of the last week of the Lord on earth. His earthly ministry is about to come to end. The Lord at the beginning of his ministry did not fully reveal who he was to the people. Even to those who him healed, he asked them to don't reveal who he was. Even with Mary, in John 2, 4, he said, Woman, my hour has not yet come. However, we can see that the hour is near now, and the Lord must fulfill a detailed plan. So after being in Jericho and being in Zacchaeus' house, teaching the parable about the meanness and proclaiming the coming judgment and proclaiming repentance, the Lord begins this journey to Jerusalem. Jesus starts taking a path leading to special march. The Lord will enter to the city. And several scholars agree that Jerusalem could mean city of peace or the pillars of peace. So we have here our king of peace that will begin his last week in his city of peace. The Lord was going to Jerusalem, and this journey involved passing through the city of Bethany, where Lazarus and his family was, and through through Bethege. But now the Lord arrives to the Mount of Olives. This mount, since the time of the Old Testament, was relevant for serving as a place of worship to the Lord. The, proce- the prophet Ezekiel presents a vision of the glory of the Lord when he will fight for his people on a triumphant war. And brothers, sisters, I believe this is time to think and to get amazed by the detail and care that this story is taking. The detail of Jesus Entering to this city to start his path for our salvation. And that detailed story will continue until his glorious return. Now, Jesus is the king of peace. And we can see multiple references in the Bible as we can observe the relationship between Jesus and peace for men. The prophecy presents him as the prince of peace. Isaiah reminds us that upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And the beautiful chapter 5 of the epistle to the Romans starts saying, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something Israel did not understand. Israel was hoping that their Messiah's agenda will be one of war, that will start a rebellion against Rome. But God's agenda was one of peace. Each of the things that happened were part of, a God, of God's detail and perfect plan for our salvation. The Lord chooses two of his disciples to go to the village that we don't have the name, but he gives a detailed agenda of what they, they will find and what to do. Some scholars consider that the Lord already had previous information about the location of this village, of this house, of this cult, and that probably he knew the people in that house. In the other hand, other scholars consider that all these detailed instructions are product of the omniscience of the Lord. I deeply believe, and I'm inclined to believe, that it's product of His submissions. And it's because I believe this, because He knew that there was going to be this cold in this specific village. He knew that it'll be in that door, that it'll, that. The owners will allow the disciples to take the cold just for the simple reason that Jesus is God. He knows where each donkey of the planet is, He knows each owner of a donkey in the planet, for He is God. He knows everything, He controls everything. There is nothing outside His knowledge, and there is nothing outside his control. That's our Lord. I think about the possible reaction of the disciples to see this and just to receive this instruction. As Christians, we can believe, oh, it looks like I'm stealing this donkey. I don't know the reaction, and the gospel does not let us know what is the reaction of them. But I deeply believe that the Lord was allowing his disciples to see He had control of everything just because of what was going to happen on the next week. He wanted his followers, them, and us to know that his death in the cross was not an accident, that everything was prepared for our salvation. The Lord was preparing his disciples and he was explaining what is going to happen. Jesus is showing that God's sovereignly plan in everything, even the smallest detail, like which house, which donkey, God's sovereign plan will be fulfilled perfectly and in a perfect time. The sovereign King of Peace was taken to the cross because he wanted to be taken to the cross. Not because of the power of Rome, not because of the influence of the leaders, but because he wanted to. Now, someone may be wondering why Jesus had to get into the cult and not just walk into Jerusalem. Why all these things about this donkey? Well, we can see this answer in verse 34. The Lord needs it. And the Lord needs it because Jesus is manifesting clearly that he's the expected Messiah. The choice of the cult attends to the prophecy of the prophet Zacharias. The entrance of the Lord on a cult means that this king comes in peace. Jesus is fulfilling what is prophesied by prophet Zacharias in nine 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. So, the symbolism of this colt helps us to show the messianic status of Jesus Christ. The Lord sent his disciples for this animal to fulfill and proclaim his entrance as King Messiah. The law gave several indications that an animal that has never been mounted, or there was no yoke placed on him, was eligible for offerings, was eligible for the service of the Lord. We know, brothers and sisters, and our hope Is that the Lord will return on a white horse to judge and to end all rebellion and to stop all sin on earth? But for now, the Lord was coming on a donkey as a messenger of peace and as a messenger. Of the blessing for men through Jesus. That day, the Lord did not enter in his white horse. Because Jesus did not enter to take a throne. He entered on a colt. Because he entered to be put on a cross. Your king, says the prophet, Comes to you, righteous and humble, not to crush his enemies, but to redeem. He decided to put himself in the hands of his rebellious creation to overcome them humbly in weakness. He decided to do this. He gave the power to those who caught him. Everything was on his plan. Every single second was detailed on God's plan. Now, in this passage, we can also see his royal authority. The way in which the Lord sent his disciples for the cult seems like a royal requisition. When the king needs goods from his vassals, the king has the authority to dispose of what he needs to fulfill his royal purposes. So these two disciples entered to this village as royal envoys to take this donkey just because the Lord has ordered this. The disciples, obeying his his master, brought the call to him. And prepare the animals so the Lord can see in him. Up to this moment, the Lord is with his 12 disciples. The Lord Jesus will mount the colt with their help. And it is worth mentioning that the disciples were not understanding what was happening. The meaning of it. It is not until later, and John records this, in his gospel, that they will understand what this implied and meant. They had no idea right now what was this. They will understand later. But the thing that we know is that the Lord Jesus was fulfilling a perfect plan that it's not completely understood by his followers, but in his sovereignty, things were happening. He was using people that was not understanding what was happening. For his purposes, because he's a sovereign king. In second place, the acclamation to the king of peace, verses 36 to 38. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." From verse 36, we can see the acclamation to the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Look details how they are putting their cloaks on the road, on the road, a sign of respect and reverence. Other Gospels record that also the branches of palms were thrown to the ground to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. And this is a shocking moment. This is an amazing moment. He's descending through the Mount of Olives. And this is taking place in an atmosphere of victory and triumph. The crowds are waiting for Jesus for them to be liberated politically from Roman control. They are shouting and praising because the Messiah that will end the Roman control over them is now here. The thing is that the Lord was on his way to death, he was on his way to the cross. Not to start a rebellion against Rome, but to start a rebellion against sin and darkness. The crowd was jubilant, full of joy, and they rejoiced and praised God because all what they have seen. We're so blessed that we praise God for all those things that we have not seen. We are so blessed because we can do that. And praise for those things we haven't seen, but we know are true. This is a triumphant entry. This is a royal inauguration and Mark records it beautifully in Mark 11.10. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Who is coming? They are recognizing partially what the scriptures talk about, the Messiah. Blessed is the kingdom of our Father David, who is coming. They knew the scripture. They didn't understand its meaning. We cannot forget that even we can see all this glorious moment of triumph, this is a procession of death and punishment for Jesus. The King of Peace will start his path to torment and to be loaded with all our evil for our peace. There was no other option, there was no other possibility than receiving peace through Jesus. Now, let's think about his ministry. And we can observe a total and radical change here. Jesus is not stopping the crowds from worshiping. He's not opposing them. And as they are proclaiming him and declaring him as king and the promised Messiah, he's not stopping them as he was doing in the beginning of his ministry. And you know what? This is the message we believe we do not believe that Jesus was just a good person, a good leader, a spiritual guide to follow. We believe and we know that Jesus was God himself and that he indeed is a promised Messiah, that he indeed is a promised king, that he indeed is a promised offspring. In the acclamation, however, something very sad will happen. Many of those who were up to praise Jesus would shout for his cross affection a few days later. And it's really interesting that the scripture says that it's not just a crowd, but it's a multitude. It's a crowd of disciples. They identify themselves as disciples. And I have to tell them I was totally shocked. I was like, no, no, no. The Greek will help me with this. They they couldn't be disciples. They were disciples. They were praising Jesus. And a few days later, they were shouting for his crucifixion. We can claim. We can praise. We can think we are worshiping. And not receiving the king. They were waiting for a certain king. They were shouting for his crucifixion days later. For one reason. They realized he was not the type of Messiah they were waiting for. There was not the king... That will bring Israel to the splendors of the day of Solomon. However, they realize he was not a conqueror, but a king, humble and peaceful. And that's why they shout for his crucifixion. Not only he was not going to wage war against Romans, but he will put himself... In their hands to die by Romans for the sin of the world. He did not wage a war against Rome. He was waiting, waging a war against their sin. He's waging a war against our sin. The Messiah they wanted was that who could heal and feed Multitudes, fish for everybody. They didn't want the Messiah. They didn't want the king who will be charged with the penalty of sin. They were wanting a king that will adjust to their desires and their needs. And they were acclaiming the true king without understanding which kind of king he was. And this still happens today. It is an anomaly to find a place where Jesus is preached as mediator, as Messiah, as God with authority. They are preaching a Jesus that serves them in their dreams and desires of a comfortable life. But Christ is a king who came to die on a cross to pay for our debt with God. In his justice. To transform our self-centered hearts. To humble and sacrificial hearts. To replace the stones we had for hearts of flesh. Many praised Jesus as king. But very few wanted to submit to his authority. May the Lord help us not to be guilty of putting our clothes and our palms with an empty heart of devotion. Three, the majesty of the king of peace, verses 39 to 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones will cry out. In verses 39 and 40, we can see the majesty of our king of peace. The Pharisees who were in the middle of the crowd complained to the Lord, asking him to silence his disciples. The Pharisees at this time are so similar to our culture. Everyone could bear Jesus. They may even like him. As long as he does not proclaim himself as king, Jesus is OK with everybody. They will accept him as long as he does not proclaim himself as a God with authority that demands my, mankind to live in a certain way. Everybody loves the love story of Jesus. Nobody likes, or very few likes. His style of life. Liking Jesus is not enough. The Pharisees asked the Lord to stop his followers from such manifestation. They are saying, Master, stop your followers. This is an excess. Realize what they are doing. They are comparing you to the, to the Messiah. They are comparing you to God. And this is blasphemy. And you are allowing this blasphemy. Stop them. If you're a man afraid of God, stop them. In their pride and their spiritual blindness, they want to defend God, rejecting God. The Lord responds in a shocking way. Even if I keep this quiet, the inanimated stones will receive a supernatural power to give glory. Glory. Because it's the Lord. This is the Lord we have. Because the worship of the Lord does not depend on the worshiper, but depends on the Lord that it's worship. There is no way to stop this clamor. There is no way to silence the truth of the God who became man, the promised Messiah, the promised God, becoming reality and fulfilling everything before their very eyes. As the verses go by, we will see that our Lord cried for the city. The call to rejoice in the prophet Zechariah is now a call of lamentation. For the people did not know the time of their visitation. And this is heartbreaking. The offspring That was promised to the woman, to Adam and Eve, that they were waiting, that they were expecting. The king that was promised to David and where they put all their joy and expectation, that king they were waiting for. It was just real, it was becoming real before them. And they were not able to recognize him. Because that's the nature of sin. Darkness and blindness. They were so deep into their religion. They were so involved in doing things but not on who they were. It is really sad thinking of a people, a group of people that they were waiting since the very beginning for something and right now it's in front of them. And they can't see this. I start talking about peace. People are waiting and expecting peace. And the peace is in front of them, in Jesus, in that cross and in Jesus' reason, and they can't see this. So we need to proclaim. We need to speak out loud. We need to recognize that the very nature of Jesus is to bring light. As we prepare to enter to Holy Week, we are blessed with the opportunity of declaring who Jesus is. We can glorify God with all our being. But we shouldn't wait for the stones to cry. We should cry first. We should praise first. Declare that he is Lord. Let's pray for a heart that will lead us to adore the Lord all the time. That will lead us to understand that he is our king, our king of peace. Beloved brothers and sisters, I don't know your condition this morning. I don't know if right now you are in a time of devotion and obedience and joy with the Lord. I don't know if you are on a season in life with doubts and not knowing who actually Jesus is. I don't know if you're just facing pain and struggle. But what I know, and I want to invite you to this, is to make this a reminder. Make today a a reminder and mark in our calendar that we can commemorate that we have received peace with God through Jesus. That we can reach peace because of our King. Because our King is coming soon. On one occasion, they asked Corrie Ten Boom, and she was an activist who saved a lot of Jews from the Nazi army during the Second World War. Where the Nazis weren't under control, she was hiding Jews and helping them to be saved. And they asked her once this question, how do you do to remain humble before all the attention and acclamation you receive constantly? And she answered, and I quote, When Jesus rode to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments into the road, and singing praises, do you think that for one moment if ever entered the head of the donkey that any of that was for him? (laughs) Imagine how ridiculous this sounds. Wow, I must be the best donkey in the world. There is no donkey like me. Look, all these praises, all the joy, people rejoicing. What a donkey I am. I didn't knew this. I'm awesome, awesome donkey. <laughs> no. She continued and she said, and I quote, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I'll give him all praise and all honor. What an example of where to place our hearts. What I learned preparing this message was be a good donkey, be a faithful donkey. For the glory is for him. Just be a good and faithful donkey. Beloved church, the attitude of our heart and our life is that the Lord will be known. That he will be proclaimed. That he will receive the glory. If there is something beautiful we can accomplish in this life, is that we can proclaim the name of Jesus if there is something of value in our lives that we can speak loud, that there is salvation, that there is hope, that there will be peace because there is a king of peace. We learned this morning that there is a king who is infinitely superior to us, that there is a kingdom that is infinitely superior to our small and little kingdom. The king of peace. A kingdom of peace. Let's remember that Jesus Christ should be acclaimed as king, proclaimed as king, served as king, obeyed as king, glorified as king, loved as king, worshipped as king, praised as king, adored as king, because he is king. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Because we know our Savior is King. Father, there's no way to understand the mysteries. There's no way to know the deep of yourself. But thank you because through the scriptures we can see how deep your love is for us. What a beautiful plan you have. How detailed it was for us to be found on your plans of grace. Help us to take the example of those who humbly want to serve you. Help us to be a church that will proclaim Christ and that the glory will be only for your Son. Help us to proclaim Jesus as King. But also help us to submit to his kingship. Help us to praise him as king, but also help us to live as we are under a king. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the week that it's coming that we will remember the sacrifice of our King of Peace. Because if there's a theme in our life, is that we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen indeed.